What is the crack, people? You're very welcome to the podcast you're listening to. Is a recording with Kyle Duffy. If you're new here, I hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you do, make sure to follow along up on Spotify, Anchor FM, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast from. Make sure to follow along with Is a Recording to get new notifications of each episode in the new year. If you're a returning listener, I thank you for your support on the podcast. It means the world to me. I've been really trying to up the ante on the podcast, make sure that the episodes I'm putting out are quality instead of quantity. This is my Christmas episode to wrap up 2022, so sit back, relax and enjoy. In this episode today, I'll be joined by some guests to talk about things they achieved and knocked off their bucket list for 2022. I'm also going to be reflecting back on my own year, what I achieved and what I got out of this year because it's been a hectic but productive year for myself. A lot has happened and I just want to get into some of that stuff. You know, it's been a productive and professionally developing year for me with the podcast, with radio and all in between. And obviously because one of my big talking points on this podcast is movies and TV shows, I want to reflect back on what movie and TV gave us in 2022 and I'll be talking about some of my favourite watches during the year and giving some recommendations of what I think you should sit down and watch during the Christmas season. All of this and more coming up in just a moment. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Kyle Duffy, and you're listening to Is It Recording, a podcast for passions. Episodes are available on Spotify, Anchor FM, Google Podcasts, and many more platforms like this. New to Is It Recording? Follow the podcast up on Spotify so you never miss an episode. I'm very excited about today's show. I hope you all enjoy it. I have a lot in store for you. With all that said, let's kick off the episode. How was year 2022? Let me know up on Anchor FM, Spotify and Twitter. Was there anything you achieved this year that you thought you wouldn't? Was there anything that you purposely went into this year thinking I need to knock that off my bucket list? Maybe it was a trip away because I know COVID has been rampant the past few years and I know that people have places they want to go on their bucket list now that they are able to travel. Was there somewhere you went, whether it was Brussels, London, maybe America, did you go away on that ideal vacation and get away from it all for a bit? Or maybe you managed to get that new job that you've been eyeing up for a while. Maybe you added a few skills to your CV this year that you thought you never would. Maybe you got a promotion. Maybe you ended up proposing to your significant other like I did last Christmas. And maybe you're planning a wedding now. Let me know what you achieved this year, what milestones you passed, what big events happened in 2022 that made it special for you. Let me know up on Anchor FM, Spotify and Twitter. I know 2022 was a hectic year but for me it was productive. I got a lot done. I managed to get a good few life experiences underneath my belt, professional development as well. If you listen to this podcast on a regular basis you'll know that I'm working in the area of radio at the moment and over this past year I managed to secure an internship with Midwest Radio which I'm still currently in it's a five-month internship and before that I was a part of a course up in the independent college in Dublin with Today FM School of Radio which I learned a lot on as well. This year has been a year for radio for me I've learned a lot of new things I've kind of branched out a bit my confidence has grown on the mic in the editing bay all over the place so really I'm looking forward to 
progressing even more in 2023 and adding the skills and the things I've learned in this year to the podcast to up the production value to make sure that the episodes I'm putting out are episodes I'm proud of. I'm also wanting to um, expand my listenership and make sure that I'm getting guests on that people want to hear more from and also getting guests on that are on my book list as well because there are several people that I know that I want to get onto the podcast that I think would be great crack and also very talented people as well. One of those people on my list was Ailish McCormick. I really wanted to get her on the show for a while. She is a ex-classmate of mine in the Today FM School of Radio course and just a down-to-earth nice woman who was a very talented musician as well. She played for the Chieftains for years and she has a new CD, new album coming out that she recorded during lockdown. When I heard that she'd recorded this during lockdown, I kind of reflected back on my own accomplishments during lockdown and really my own accomplishments during lockdown. What I thought was me being a productive person was me not going batshit crazy from the isolation and just keeping my shit together and making sure that I didn't have an existential crisis. So for her to create a whole album, a whole piece of work during lockdown is so impressive. Later on in the episode, I'll be talking to Eilish McCormick around her new album, Aegon Cha, which translates to At Home in Irish. Before we get into that interview and that discussion, I want to first look back on the year 2022, discuss a few movies and TV shows that I really loved this year, and talk about my favourite movie overall from 2022. I'd love to know some of your favourite movies of the past year, if you thought there were certain movies or TV shows that weren't recognised in official ceremonies like the Emmys, like the Oscars. Let me know what was your favourite movie of 2022, what was your favourite series, and were they recognised for their talent this year? And also with upcoming events like the Golden Globes, let me know who you think is going to sweep the ceremony. With all that said, let's discuss some of the best that we had on offer on our screens in 2022. First off, I'm going to talk about one of my favourite movies of this past year, The Banshees of Inisherin. This film is directed by Martin McDonough, who's also directed great movies like Three Billboards in Ebbing, Missouri, starring Francis McDormand and Woody Harrelson. Great movie. Again, recommend that if you haven't seen it already. He also directed In Bruges and back in 2008, which also starred Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson in Banshees of Inish Heron are so good. Let me just say that off the bat. The casting in this movie floored me. It was perfect down to the last detail. Not only did we get superb performances from the starring men in this movie, Colin Farrell and Brennan Gleeson, who show in the making of this movie that their on-screen chemistry has never gone away. That their innate ability to bounce off each other in scenes and build up the suspense in the movie throughout the Banshees of Inisherin, the suspense built from both Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson's characters is immense and leads to such a climactic finish, especially Brendan Gleeson. I'm going to talk more about his performance in a few minutes. But not only did we get great starring roles, starring performances from these two, we also got great supporting roles that kind of stole the show at some stage as well. When we look at the cast in The Banshees of Inish Heron, there is a limitless amount of talent. First off, you have Barry Keown, who steals the show in some scenes in this movie. 
and plays a great supporting role to Porrick, played by Colin Farrell. You also have Kerry Condon, who has great chemistry on screen with Colin Farrell's character as well. Kerry Condon plays the sister, Siobhan, to Porrick in the movie. As well as that, we have the duo of Pat Short and John Kenny from The Unbelievables, who provide great comedic relief. Subtle comedy, not in your face, but every time these two are on screen, they just remind you of the great laughs that they gave us as the Unbelievables back in the day. So if you haven't actually seen The Banshees of Inisherin yet and you think there's only one reason to go see it, which might be in your mind, oh, Colin Farrell is in this movie, I love him, I love Brendan Gleeson, I'm going to go see it for that reason alone. Well, I'm here to tell you that The Banshees of Inisherin gives you great supporting roles as well and really endears the actors on screen to the audience just going back to Barry Cohen for a minute, so similar to John Hurt's performance as the bird in the great movie The Field. Again, similarities to The Field in Brendan Gleeson's character, Colm. Colm as a character reminded me so much of Bull McCabe from The Field as well. He has that aura about him, that mystery, that sternness, that thickness as well. And I just, I can't say anything bad about this movie. I did a episode not too long ago reviewing it because I went to go see it on behalf of Midwest Radio and reviewed it on air as well. But the on-air review I gave, I didn't want to get into it too much. I wanted to give a plain, subtle review for the viewers and I didn't have much time either. The one thing I did say is, for anyone who went to see this movie, you can't deny the beauty of Ackle Island. At times, the island is almost a secondary character because... You're focused on every scene because of the surroundings that you see, whether it's the cliffs, whether it's the seaside, whether it's the lovely fields, the backdrop is beautiful in this movie and the choice to place it on Ackle is one that paid off immensely because this movie is shot beautifully and, like I mentioned in the intro, just showcases the beauty of the West of Ireland. The Banshees of Inisherin is currently up for eight nominations across the Golden Globes in several different categories and, in my opinion, is bound to sweep the awards. There's so much buzz about this movie right now and I genuinely do think, and I've said this several times before, I said it on Midwest Radio, I said it on CRCFM when I reviewed it and I said it on here on the podcast as well. I think this movie is going to become one of the Irish classics, a bit like The Field, similar to... The Commitments, starring Colin Meany, or The Van, or The Snapper, all great Colin Meany movies that we look back on and just have such nostalgia over. I think Martin McDonough has achieved that, and will achieve that, with The Banshees of Inisherin. And here's why. He taps into Irish culture so well in this movie. The mannerisms, the behaviours, the slang, the slogans, the speech, the language, everything about this movie screams Ireland. And screams Irishness, which is what you want to have happen in a movie like this. You know, it's based around Ireland in the 1920s. And that's one thing you need to do in order to achieve greatness with a movie like this. And have success with a movie like this is make sure it feels Irish. Martin McDonough does that seamlessly here. In my opinion, he does it seamlessly. And that's why I think this movie is going to go on and be one of the great Irish classics. I think, you know, there's going to be children who grew up with this movie 
10, 20 years from now and they'll see it as one of the greats. We'll be showing this movie to our kids growing up and saying, oh, I remember watching that for the first time in the cinema, in the theatres and I loved it. I couldn't stop laughing or, you know, I was so blown away by the acting. This is one that we'll tell our children about and our grandchildren. A bit like the way some of us might have grown up, myself included, with the van, with the snapper, with Colomini's acting and the field as well with Bull McCabe and the bird and that story and that classic of a movie. I think there'll be children who grow up with the Banshees of Inisherin as a classic for them. Now, if we can look at the critiques of this movie for a minute because every movie is not without its critiques and its criticism. I think there's only been one main critique of this movie and it's caused people to walk out. It's caused caused people to criticise Martin McDonough's research behind the movie and it's caused people to dislike the movie overall and that is the portrayal and the depiction of the Irish Civil War in the Banshees of Inisherin. As well as that, I think a lot of people criticise Martin McDonough over the fact that the Gardaí weren't actually founded around this time period and kind of critiqued him as a director that he didn't do enough research behind these facts before he put them on screen. But let's just talk around the depiction of the Irish Civil War because I think that is the main critique people have given and the reason some people have walked out of this movie and will look down upon it as well. The Irish Civil War does take place during this time period in the movie. However, the characters in the movie are living on an island, secluded away from the mainland, where the violence, where the war is happening. And they're kind of bystanders. They're onlookers, and they're not involved. So, really, when you see the gunfire on the mainland, when you see people commenting on it as they walk by and there's one scene where Siobhan's character jumps when she hears the gunfire there's one scene where Colin Farrell's character Porrick is looking at the gun smoke and the cannon fire and just kind of reflecting upon it the Irish Civil War is going on in the background in this movie it's not the main focus and I believe that's why most people see this movie as disrespectful because it's in the background And I think a lot of people, a lot of viewers will see the Irish Civil War and think, okay, if it's going to be in a movie, it needs to be the main talking point. It it needs to have a point in being in there. It needs to be the main focus. And because in the Banshees of Inish Heron, it isn't the main focus, it isn't shown in detail, and it isn't a main talking point, it doesn't have a big role in the movie. I think that's why people might have walked out of this movie midway through, might have seen it as disrespectful. But here's my view. The Irish Civil War doesn't represent the Irish Civil War in this movie. The Irish Civil War, the gunfire in the background, the mainland being in ruins and at war with one another, I think that's supposed to represent an omen for the relationship that... Porrick and Colm are going through the transition in their relationship that they go through because for anyone who hasn't seen the Banshees of Inisherin it's focused around Porrick and Colm their relationship and the breakdown of their lifelong friendship that seems to be going on through this movie one wants to keep things the way they are another one the other one wants to move on and cut ties 
Colm doesn't want anything to do with Porik anymore. Porik doesn't like change and wants to get things back to the way they are. He's afraid of change. And I think the breakdown of their relationship is symbolised through the gunfire, through the cannon smoke of the mainland troubles and the Irish Civil War going on in the background. It's supposed to be an omen. Now, that's just my opinion. That's what I took away from the movie. That's how I saw the Civil War being portrayed, and that's what I took away. Other people will take away a whole different kind of perspective, and that's what's great about movies. It creates conversations. It gives different perspectives to different people, and we all come away with something different. Great movies are supposed to make us think, are supposed to intrigue us, are supposed to make us have these conversations and give us these different perspectives, are supposed to make us passionate as well. And the great thing about movies is, whether it's a comedy, a drama, whether it's a period piece like this, it's all subjective. You know, I could talk to someone next week about this movie and they could have polar opposite views of the movie than I would. I'm not going to love it any less. And you can have your opinions as well. I'm not going to try to convince that person that they're wrong and it's a great movie. Movies, TV, comedy, it's all subjective. It's what you take away from it. And whether we like it or not, our personal ideas, our beliefs are influenced and affected by watching movies like these. And they can affect how we view movies like these. You know... There's some people who go to a comedy gig and there's a joke told that they don't agree with or some language in that joke that they don't agree with and that can put them off the comedian, it can put them off the whole show whereas other people might gravitate towards certain language in a comedy or in a movie or certain themes or tones in a movie as well. I know I gravitated towards this movie because of Martin McDonough, because of the way he tells stories, his directing style, and his ability to manoeuvre through plots and storylines with this dark undertone that just builds and builds and builds. I saw it in the movie In Bruges. I also saw it in his movie Three Billboards. You have this tension in Martin McDonough movies that builds and builds and builds. It's very ominous. And then it just hits you like a ton of bricks. It's not subtle. It's in your face. And, you know, there's certain people who may not like that directing style, may not like those choices that he makes as a director. But, again, it's all subjective. No one can really come away and say that the acting wasn't immense, that the casting choices weren't spot on and that you weren't blown away by the beauty of the cinematography in that movie. When you take The Banshees of Inish Heron as a project, as a movie, in particular as an Irish movie, I believe it's been a roaring success. Again, when we look at the nominations in eight different categories across the board, eight nominations leading the nominations in this year's Golden Globes, it's definitely going to sweep that ceremony and I think could be hailed as a true Irish classic down the line I do believe that whether it's the acting that makes it a classic for you whether it's the cinematography the directing style the storyline the plot I think it offers so much up to audiences as a movie and it really can't be overlooked as probably one of the best movies of 2022 it's definitely my favorite movie and probably the best movie I've seen this year 
but let me know your opinion about the banshees of Sharon up on anchor fm spotify and twitter do you think it deserves the success it's getting do you agree with my analysis or did you absolutely hate it i haven't come across anyone who's really despised the movie so far let me know your thoughts on the movie up on anchor fm spotify and twitter we've had so many great movies over 2022 including amsterdam starring margot robbie and christian bale we also had see how they run starring saoirse ronan and sam rockwell as well as many other great releases including Smile, Bullet Train and Hustle starring Adam Sandler. For this episode I'm going to make sure to include a questionnaire up on Spotify that you can take part in. I'd love to know your favourite 2022 movie. Although 2022 gave us some great movies, there were some letdowns, some disappointments this year and personally for myself, one of those has to be Thor Love and Thunder. I think I got swept away, like many of us, with the amount of superhero movies coming out this year and kind of misanalyzed and misjudged the actual caliber of the movies coming out. Quantity doesn't always mean quality, and we've had plenty of superhero genre movies in the past couple of years. Marvel have been hard at work making sure that they're churning out consistently making sure that Disney Plus and the theatres are always full of the next big Marvel movie or Marvel series. I didn't personally expect to be sitting here at the end of the year analysing and criticising Taika Waititi and Chris Hemsworth for their work in this tour movie. I actually went to go see it with a colleague of mine, with a friend of mine from the radio, we went to go see it in Mayo Movie World, and listen, I think I got swept away with it, really. I really loved the first tour movie directed by Taika Waititi. I really respect him as a director. In his past movies, I've gravitated towards his style of storytelling, his style of directing, and his comedy as well. And I really appreciate that he does pay particular attention to how he portrays himself on screen, his characters, and how he tells a story. However, I just thought the Thor Love and Thunder movie, when you take out the performance from Christian Bale, which was, in my opinion, the best part of it, you're not left with much to analyse. It's almost a carbon copy of the first movie he directed with Chris Hemsworth. And it's almost like the studio said, hey, Taika, you did really good with that first directorial debut for Thor. Just recycle, repeat, and make sure that we get butts and seats for it and sell out tickets. That's what it felt like. And I was only able to come to that conclusion after watching it a second time and actually mulling over my mind, okay, how did I feel in the theatre? Was I enjoying it? Was I just getting swept away with the fact that I like Taika Waititi? I like Chris Hemsworth. They're both likeable guys on screen and off. And, you know, it's a paint-by-numbers repeat of the success they had with the first movie. And in moments, I found myself going on my phone during the movie and, you know, my colleague and my friend that I went with to the movie, he's a big fan of Marvel, he's a big fan of the Thor movie, and he seemed to enjoy it, so I thought, okay, maybe I need to actually just give this a chance. But when I, not repeat, but when I look back and reflect on that movie like I mentioned the best part of it is Christian Bale and really 
when you take out his performance, his character arc, they only really have one other storyline that you can rely on to keep you invested in the movie. And that's the return of Jane Foster, which is the love interest for Tor in the movie. I do think the chemistry was on screen between Natalie Portman and Chris Hemsworth. I do think they were able to gel off each other very well after appearing in the other movies together as well. But it didn't feel like enough. I wasn't fully invested in that relationship in her character and as well as that if you're coming from the aspect uh the perspective of myself who wasn't overly invested in the tour series if you're like me you liked one or two particular movies in that franchise for that character and you didn't have time to bond with certain characters like jane foster like other characters in tour love and thunder there's not much for you to grasp onto like i said and for moments it fell flat there was some annoying screaming goats that i thought okay that got me a laugh for a couple of seconds but then they make a reappearance and i thought okay are they just gonna go back to the screaming goat over and over again for some comedy and comedic relief there is don't get me wrong there is certain elements that do have some redemption in it in particular, there's one funny subplot in the movie involving Thor, Jane Foster, and his hammer. And if you've seen the movie, you'll know what I'm discussing, and you know you'll know what I'm talking about. But other than that, again, the best part of this movie is Christian Bale, and it just seemed like the studio said to Taika Waititi, "Here's a bunch of money. Repeat, recycle. What you did last time really worked. There's no reason why it shouldn't this time." Chris Hemsworth is in the public eye. He's very likable as Thor. We're riding this wave now with this character. You seem to be riding a wave too with the way you're directing this series and this franchise. Go and make us some money. The movie did make a decent amount of money. When you look at the box office, it made $760 million back. But when you look at the online ratings, the ratings from viewers from audience members it has 64% on Rotten Tomatoes and I just think the standard of Marvel is slipping which when you look at the amount of movies they're churning out this year this past two years as well that's to be expected it's kind of similar to you know The Rock when he hit his purple patch and he could do no wrong he was getting booked for movies left right and center he still is but I think he hit a sweet spot and then he dropped off a bit. He had a couple of movies where they didn't do so well. They made him money, but they weren't gems. And I think now Marvel is going to go through that patch as well. I genuinely do think that Marvel have hit a decline with their movies and their series. And the only example I need to put in front of you for you to actually see this too, if you don't see it already, is the monstrosity that was She-Hulk attorney at law. There was one clip I saw and someone was comparing one of the CGI scenes to a cutscene from FIFA. And if you play FIFA, you'll know that in career mode, when you're signing players, the manager will walk into the room and you'll have a negotiation. The graphics are good for a FIFA game, but there's one scene in She-Hulk where she walks into the room. She's in a suit because she's She-Hulk and she, no clothes will fit her besides men's suits. And 
she walks in and it looks identical to the graphics in FIFA 21 or FIFA 22 or whatever. It just looks like a monstrosity of CGI. And on top of that, the episodes I did watch seemed like they had no structure, like they didn't know where they were going with the series. And you can tell they didn't have a clue where they were going with the series by the ending, by the finale. I didn't watch it. I couldn't bear myself to sit down and watch another episode. But from what I had heard, they broke the fort wall in the last episode and She-Hulk actually tracks down the writers of the show and get them to rewrite the ending of the show. She has a conversation with Kevin Feige, who is represented by a robot in this series who's responsible for marvel and she even breaks through the disney plus menu screen at some stage and when this finale was explained to me i remember going for a coffee with one of the lads and he explained the finale and i was just thinking this is the laziest laziest effort to end a show ever and when the laziest pitch wins and the laziest script and the writing wins that's how you know you've had a bad show from the beginning because that is just throwing in the towel and deciding okay we're actually going to rewrite everything and when you need to have your character track down the writers of the show in the show that's just I think you're admitting itself defeat you're admitting defeat right there and then whether She-Hulk has a season two it probably will because I think everything is being green lighted at the moment for Marvel but for me personally I feel we're getting an oversaturation where it's beyond an oversaturation of superhero movies at the moment and when the market is saturated like that it's very hard to distinguish what's a good movie and what's an expensive movie the Marvel movies are expensive but are they good anymore let me know your opinions on this up on Anchor FM Spotify and Twitter before I get into my interview with Elliot McCormick around her new album I first want to give you a few suggestions for movies to watch in the new year over Christmas and a series that I've got to watch in the last few weeks that I think you should give a watch as well the series I've been watching over the past few weeks is the Santa Clauses nostalgia lane for me I grew up watching the Santa Claus with Tim Allen love Tim Allen a lot of people will know him from Home Improvement or Toy Story of course and if like myself you grew up watching Home Improvement you definitely have a soft spot in your heart for the Santa Claus. In this new series he reprises his role as Scott Calvin an aging Santa Claus about to turn 65 and realizing that there isn't a lot of magic left in the world there's not a lot of people who believe in him and rely on him for presents everyone's relying on streaming services or Amazon shipping services and things like that so he has to pick a replacement so he can retire in peace I'm loving this series so far there's such nostalgia like I said and if you grew up watching the Santa Claus or even the second movie or the third movie if you love this franchise you will have real fun with this series over Christmas three movie recommendations i definitely think you should give a look over christmas and in the new year if you haven't seen them already one barbarian i really want to get around to watching this i'm actually going to sit down and watch it during the christmas as well this is available up on disney plus as well as that amsterdam starring margot robbie and christian bale also available on disney plus and finally see how they run starring saoirse ronan and sam rockwell 
think all of these movies are available up on some streaming platform. I'm almost positive that all of these movies are available now up on Disney+. Plus. Over the past few weeks, I've definitely been favoring Disney Plus over Netflix. I think the only show I'm watching religiously on Netflix right now is Wednesday, starring Jenna Ortega, which I want to talk about in the new year when I finish up that series. So stay tuned for an episode in the new year where I'll be talking about that. One more recommendation for a show I think you should check out on Disney Plus is Criminal Minds Evolution. If you're a fan of this show, if you grew up watching it, if you watched it religiously like I did, I used to watch it every week with my younger sister and she still watches it now. The show has released its 16th season with new episodes hitting Disney Plus every Friday. The show uses the pandemic in a very smart way in this new season. The team have to track down a network of killers that have formed over the pandemic and have been helping each other get away with murders and stay under the radar from the FBI. The team have to track down the owner and the head serial killer who has been setting up these networks and giving kill kits to serial killers across the country. This show I'm loving it at the moment and if you're a fan of Criminal Minds, if you've watched it in the past and you're stuck for something to watch, I would definitely recommend checking out Criminal Minds Evolution up on Disney+. I hope you all enjoy my Christmas recommendations and check out some of those movies in the new year as well. Let me know what you have on your bucket list to watch over this Christmas. Maybe it's a new release, maybe it's a favourite movie that you have nostalgia for. Let me know up on Anchor FM, Spotify and Twitter. Next up, I'll be joined by Elit McCormick to discuss her new album, Aegon Shaw. I'm joined here now by singer and musician Ailit McCormick. Ailit, thank you for being on the podcast. You have a new CD, a new album out at the moment. Do you want to tell us more about that? Sure. So the album is called It Can Play, which is Scots Gaelic for at home. The title was very easy to find. It literally means at the house, but you know the idea is that we did all this recording ourselves. My husband Noel and I, and I'm sure Neve as well, she is the heart player, Neve O'Brien, she's from Kildaimo, just outside Limerick. You know, we've all been in the studio at different times. A million times we've been in the studio. Um, I've recorded in Nashville, I've recorded all over Scotland, I've recorded in Ireland, Canada, you know, France, Italy. But I've, I've always had an engineer, or, or more than one engineer, depending on what you're doing. Therefore, I've never, and my husband was saying the same thing, We've never asked the question, how do you do this? Because you have somebody there who does that for you. And that wasn't the case during the pandemic, which is when we recorded this. So it was a real, you know, I was, I was, it wasn't a learning curve. It was a learning vertical. It was just straight up learning, but enjoyable. It was enjoyable, but it was just very different. And like you said, during the pandemic, I think a lot of people had a lot of learning curves and a lot of things to catch up on. I don't think anyone went yeah. as far as recording a whole, a whole album in their home, which is very impressive. I'm just looking at the um, <laughs> I'm just looking at the pictures here on the album. You have pictures of you, your husband, and musician Neve O'Brien. Mm-hmm. I know that we met through the Today FM course up in Dublin. Yes, I'm so glad that I got paired into a group with you because <laughs> to find out all this different stuff about you, like you, you can't really presume to like know anyone until you actually find out the nitty-gritty details you also sang with the chieftains i did yeah we were actually on tour in america when the pandemic struck 
And I'd, you know, I I went into the local town here nearest us called Gory, in North Wexford. I went to try and get some masks to take primarily for my flight to America that year because we were hearing about this thing that was going on in China. But we didn't really think it was going to be on our doorstep. But I think because I was travelling, I thought, well, we better, I better just get some masks. And not even knowing that the mask, you're protecting other people. I was, I, I bought, I wanted to buy masks to protect myself. Mm. When they were arriving in the, the chemist here, they were selling out immediately. So I couldn't get any masks locally. So I went on to Amazon and I bought 15 masks and they were all, they were cloth masks, so not, not ideal and they were all funny they were all had like a zip for a across you know for no talking or a cat face you know they were just silly and I bought them and I took them with me on the tour and on the first day of rehearsals with the chieftains that day I put the masks on the table and I and they were individually wrapped and I said to everyone you know just take a mask and we were all kind of laughing about it but by the end of the tour we were all wearing them yeah you know because things changed very rapidly and we actually we cancelled the last week of the tour because I was actually travelling with Paddy that day sometimes Paddy will fly well everybody wants to take the bus I actually find taking the bus easier than flying at times because flying is not as much fun as it used to be and um, I was I happened to be flying with him that day and he got the call after we came off the plane and he switched his phone on. We were in Boston, we were in the taxi and we were going to our hotel and the Boston gig, which was with the, the Boston Symphony Orchestra in the Symphony Hall there, it was cancelled and, and we had four more gigs to do and he said, that's it, we're going home. Because we just knew it was, it was going to get, you know, everything was shutting down and the, yeah. the, the anxiety at that time was would we get back before the approach closed. So yeah, it was it was a funny time. You know, creatives we we like to create, and you know, people relied during the pandemic. People relied a lot on people making music from home because we had this facility online. But a lot of musicians, even you know, the very successful musicians, the likes of Coldplay, etc., they wouldn't you know. Chris Martin was playing his piano from home, but he was just doing it on his phone. Yeah. It wasn't a big, it wasn't a big operation at all, and that's that's what a lot of us were doing. And we were asked actually that the CD, the CD came from a concert film that we did. That was actually the first thing that we did. In the package that you sent me, it says that it came from a ninety-minute online concert that you did, and that's where the CD yeah, came from. Yeah. Yeah. You were talking about touring and obviously when you were on tour in the US, that's when the pandemic really got serious. It, during our time on the CFM course, I think, leading up to our big exam, you were also on tour yeah. in Germany. Um, what was it like touring in yeah. Germany as well? Well, you know, I was kind of anxious about going into it because that was the first tour since the pandemic. And, you know, although I was checking with my German agent, Germany is... Is, is a series of municipalities, and each municipality, I suppose it's like a county in Ireland, but each municipality in Germany has its own rules about COVID and how they would, so you'd go from one place and then you'd cross into another municipality, which you don't even know you're doing because you, you know, there's, it's not like there's a border crossing or anything. And the rules have changed. The, the touring was great, thankfully, but 
we were still there when they still had the rules in place. So all the venues still had some COVID, you know, regulations. You know, one one place would be that they couldn't have a full audience in, in the hall. It had to be every second seat. Another place was they could have a full, full audience, but they were all wearing masks. It was really, it was interesting. I felt, you know, because it's my tour, I felt that I had to be very protective of me as well. Yeah. Um, because it's my, I'm being responsible for taking her there. But it was, it was good to get back on the road. It was good to just feel like things weren't completely normal. And I don't even think now things are completely normal for everybody. Some people are still kind of conscious and weary about going to concerts. But it just felt more normal. And by that point, I really needed to do it, you know. Yeah, I think so. And like you said before, it's very hard to get back to normality or a sense of normality with everything that's gone on mm-hmm. with the pandemic. It seems like a long time ago that it was over in China or if uh, or when it even hit Greece when those, yeah. I think, tourists had to be uh, quarantined. I know when it came over to England or uh, when it mm-hmm. first hit England, I had only been in Liverpool, I think, two weeks before. That's when we heard uh, heard about the quarantine in the hotels in Greece around the English mm. tourists. Like you said, I think a sense of normality is trying to get back into society now and get back doing things that we would normally do, like going to concerts, like going to the, even going to the shops with the masks on. But like you said, mm-hmm. some people are still taking precautions because for so mm-hmm. long it was that way and we had to keep on our toes with everything. Absolutely. Just going back to the album, I personally listened to the whole entire track, each track last night. And like I like mm-hmm. I mentioned to you, I wouldn't subscribe to a particular genre of music. I recently opened up my Spotify Wrapped last night. And um, right. you know how on Spotify you would have, um, they kind of put you in a genre of like what kind of music you listen to, yep. what kind of person you are in terms of listening to music. And apparently I'm a voyager, mm-hmm. so I go from... R&B rap to a sentimental <laughs> acoustic rock. I'm all over the shop, really. Yeah, it's funny you say that because that's the type of people that listen to my music. I can see why people listen to this because it's... At times, I was I felt like, oh, this could be a part of a movie scene. There's one particular track. I think it was track two. Both sides, the tweed. And the first track as well, Young Man. I could see yeah. those playing out in a period piece, to be honest. Oh, and great. on this podcast, I talk a lot about movies and I'm very movie centric in my mind as well. So mm-hmm. even if I don't listen to a certain type of music and I listen to it for the first time, I always envision it in a movie or somewhere in something that I would watch. Like, you know, I could see the, um, uh-huh. these kind of songs playing out in meditation as well because they're very calming. They're very melodic. Great. Really, like you said, there's a big audience out there for trad music as well. There's a couple of things on the CD where you mention, you know, the inspirations behind the album and a few dedications as well. Can you just speak a bit on what really inspired you around the CD and some of the people yeah. behind it as well? Yeah, first of all, there's where we live in Wexford. I'm originally from the Outer Hebrides off the northwest coast of Scotland. So I grew up what we'd call in a crofting community. So a croft is a small farm. Everybody has some land and they might have sheep. You know, the ones 
back in the day, uh, when my grandparents were alive, my granny's family had a cow, which was, to have one cow in those days um, was, well, you were the most popular people in the village because you could supply milk and butter and things like that. So, so my grandfather was a crofter and a weaver. And when I came over to Ireland, because uh, I met Noel, my husband, who's now my husband, but I came over to Ireland and we lived in Dublin, first of all. And he said to me, we started looking at properties. We stayed in an apartment in Dublin and we, we grew outgrew that fairly quickly. And we were looking for a more permanent home. Um, and we started looking at places and he said to me, what do you look for and what do you want for in a house, dearest? And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, do you need a garden? And I looked up and I said, I need fields. So um, that's where we are. We're in, we're in County Wexford and it's all, we're surrounded by fields and we're very, very lucky because the fields all belong to other people. We don't have to mine them and they change all the time because obviously they, you know, they, when, when the, the crop is sown and then the crop grows and it starts off and it's green and most of the fields around here are barley so then they change to gold and then it changes again once the barley's cut so you know where we live the vista is changing all the time and when I was touring a lot with the chieftains we have quite a long lane it used to be the lane that the kids would cut through to go to, to primary school many years ago before they had the, the better roads that they have now and Everyone's driven to school nowadays. But they used to cut through here. And when it's a long, windy lane, and when you turn the last corner and you just look along the lane, it's a view that I never tire of. And I just feel my shoulders drop, you know, because at the stresses and everything that I leave behind to, to come home. So that was that was important to me when it came to recording the album because I chose a lot of songs that, I was familiar with when I was kind of growing up. I, I chose some songs that I've actually recorded before, but we recorded them in a different way. And all these things were about the comfort of home and feeling feeling grounded and feeling safe. It, it, during a time that was very, we were, we were very anxious a lot of the time. Yeah. So I felt it was important for this album to have that feeling that it was, you know, see, it, it, it's safe and comforting and warm all these different things and and you know because you've listened to it we've got the sounds of the birds yeah i noticed that on one of the tracks and you know and we we have over that time we became a lot more interested in what was around us and we took much more interest because we had the time to do it in the wild birds that are around us here you know and we can there's images of on the front cover of some of the big birds that we have that fly around here that we'd have some big buzzards and it's it's fascinating just watching them train the, their young you know the mother or father will fly to the far end of the field and then call the young ones over when they're learning how to fly and learning how to catch food and things like that you know and we we have cats ourselves we don't have dogs because we have sheep and cows and that around here and we never felt that we would have the time to train a dog, you know, so that it would be wouldn't bother anything around here. And so we have cats, and they, you know, they featured in the concert film. My dad was living with us during that time. Thankfully, I got him to come and stay. He was in America when the pandemic hit. Okay. He come to see the last. He come to see the last four gigs from the Chieftains, and at the time he travelled over on his own. He's seventy eight, and he went via. London, 
and he got to Boston. He he flew into Boston two days before me, and I don't know there's many other 78-year-olds that fly to Boston for three yeah. nights. God, he's um, a mighty man. Uh, <laughs> you know, he was supposed to be there for 10 nights, but then, you know, that's what happened. So I, I cancelled his flight and I just flew him back to Ireland. So he was with us and it was just, it was good to have all these things around us. You know, we, we've we've got two bird tables set up and, you know, if you if you buy the right food, you'll get the right birds to come. You know, we now have regular visitors. We have six uh, goldfinches, which are beautiful to watch because they're such wonderful colours. So all these sort of homely grounding Nature, all these things are, are wrapped up in this album. I think the tone that you were going for, it totally landed with myself anyway, because listening to it, I, ha- I had a sense of relaxation, you know, that's why I kind of said, you know, maybe like I could listen to this while I'm meditating mm-hmm. and the trad music in it as well, the use of the sounds. And like you said, everything has a purpose in this album and it just mm-hmm. lends to such a melodic tone and like you said, it probably makes people feel safe listening to this kind of music and comforted as well. So it definitely comes across in each song. Thank you. I really enjoyed listening to it and I, re- <laughs> I really appreciate you sending me a copy of the album. Where can they find this album and where can they buy it? The first place they can go to is my website, which is www.elis.net. But it's also, it'll be on all streaming platforms. It, it's released worldwide on the 11th of December um, so I think you can just pre-save on Spotify just now and it'll be on Apple and you know Deezer and all Tidal and all these different platforms uh, so anywhere anywhere that people want to listen to music and the CD I have I have copies myself if people want to have the hard copy of a CD I can send them out yeah because I know some people obviously Spotify and the streaming platforms are getting very big but obviously there's some people who always value the hard copy and being able to yeah. put it into the cd player and just play it while they're doing mm-hmm. things around the house and stuff like that i i just like to see because you did ask me but i didn't answer that part of the question sorry kyle You're but right. um the the album is direct, is dedicated to paddy maloney yeah um and you know as i said i was sitting with him in boston you know we were in the taxi together and he said you know that's it and the I didn't know on the 4th of March 2020 when we all landed back in Ireland, which was which was a, a real rush to get together because obviously we had flights back to Ireland, but it was for a week later. And we didn't know if we'd get the flights home. You know, there was a, a lot of work done by the Chieftain's Management team and, uh, you know, our, our travel team to, to get us all home. And... I didn't know when I said goodbye to Paddy that day, none of us did, that that was the last time I'd ever see him because he passed away in October of 2021. And, you know, the very thing I didn't want to happen happened because, you know, the chieftains, everybody's in their late 70s apart from Paddy who passed away when he was 82. And he had such a energy for life still. That's what the music gave him. He might be tired before a gig happened and he might be tired at the side of the stage and he might be a bit tired afterwards. But the music gave him the energy to keep going. His wife and his family, uh, Rita, his wife, asked if I would sing at his funeral, which I was very grateful to be asked. And of course, I would do that. But it wasn't 
an easy thing to do. It was great to be with the rest of the chieftains, but that was the last, you know, first time we get together after the pandemic is for Paddy's funeral. Yeah. Which was very difficult, you know, it was it was a real mix of emotions and I'm just sorry because what they said at his funeral was one of his children, I think it was Angus, uh, in his, he said that Paddy really died when the music stopped because he never left his home after that, you know, he yeah. was, and, and the, you know, uh, and I just, I'm so, I'm so sad for that, I'm, you know, and I knew that he and I would always chat on the phone and he started off as my boss, but he was, latterly, he was my pal, he was my buddy. Mm. And, um, you know, I'm so grateful for the opportunities I got with the Chieftains. It introduced me to so many things. Um, and, and it's all really down to Paddy because he he heard of me and he asked me to join the band and, and then he kept he kept he kept asking me back. So so the the album is dedicated to him because he gave me so many opportunities and I I I kept phoning him and then there was a point in those in that time after the pandemic struck where he did stop taking phone calls. Not not maybe for everybody, but maybe just some days he didn't feel like it. And I I was I knew that it was hard for him. It was hard for everybody. There's yeah. nobody who went through it who who didn't suffer. But I'm just sad that that's that's the way it happened. Well, yeah. it sounds like it was yeah. a great inspiration to you, and obviously a big part of your life and a big part of your musical journey as well. Absolutely. Unfortunately, yeah. like I think, like you said, Edith, a lot of people would have experienced this with the pandemic, you know, saying goodbye to someone, not knowing it's the last time they're going to see them. And yeah, yeah, it's I think that's what the pandemic took away as well. You know, the mm-hmm. chance for closure, the chance for last goodbyes, the chance for seeing someone that last time, not knowing it's the last yeah. time. Mm-hmm. But um, it sounds like he had a real, like you said, a real lust for life and um, a real love of music. And that music oh, really, really seemed to um, uh-huh. be his life. Yeah, so, it completely. Yeah. Completely, yeah. So I'm sure he'd and, be proud of the album that you have to get together now. <laughs> well, we have a saying in Scotland, and it sums up Paddy Tati. He had the energy of the devil, and I say that firmly with my tongue and my cheek. Well, it sounds it sounds like he had enough energy for all of us. Um, he did. He did. Well, Edith, I wish you the best luck with this album. Like I said, I loved every minute of it, and I'm sure everyone else will too. You're very good, Kyle. Thank you very much. That was Ailet McCormack discussing her new album, Aegon Shot, which she recorded during lockdown. It's available to stream online right now. Again, such an impressive feat, recording that all during lockdown. Next up, I'm going to be joined by Liam Byrne in reacting to this year's eventful World Cup. I'm joined here now by Liam Byrne. We're going to be discussing this year's World Cup. A lot of upsets, a lot of intrigue around the World Cup. We had a few games that really caught our eye, especially this final, and with Messi winning his first World Cup with Argentina, it was a sight to behold. Liam, thanks for joining me. No worries anytime, Kyle. Uh, nice to be on again. Thank you for being on. Uh, for This will be my Christmas episode, so we're wrapping up the year very well here. Just around this World Cup, a lot of upsets, like I said. Just quickly, when you look at Morocco, Japan... How would you rate their performances this World Cup? Because they achieved some astounding things. Yeah, it was it was an absolutely amazing World Cup for the their uh, ambitions in football. 
you look at South Korea, you look at Japan, how they did, you look at Morocco. Is there a changing of the guard here, you know, in terms of football? You, you know, you'll still have the major nations, but, you know, you look at Morocco getting to the semi-final, absolutely superb Japan's performance. I think it, it may be a bit far-fetched, but I think they have the goal of, by 2051 or 2050, having won a World Cup. It, it is possible, and I'm sure they'll go from strength to strength, but they, you know, there will be tests ahead because... There will be, you know, you still have the Brazils, you still have the French, you still have the Spanish knock, knocking around there somewhere. Football is getting better and, and it, the smaller nations are getting better. And if I can bring Ireland into it, you know, we rather watch paint dry as a, a nation because we don't have the players. If you play if you play with the structure and you play with the team spirit, like Morocco, like Japan did, you can get anywhere, you know what I mean? So, look, I, I think... Ireland need to look at this now, wearing my Ireland jersey here now at the moment, and say, well, if they can do it, we can do it. We're not going to go on and win the, the tournament, but we can go deep. We can cause shocks. And that's what Morocco and Japan did throughout the, the 2022 World Cup. So I'm delighted for it. And it, it boosts other smaller nations that the, the big honchos of football can, can be taken down a pick or two sometimes, as we see in this World Cup. Yeah, definitely, because like you said, it gave a lot of the neutral fans, like me and yourself, our Irish fans, Irish people, a chance to see the smaller nations achieve something and knock some of the bigger, more favourite nations off their perch. You said Morocco knock out Spain and Portugal, causing real upsets. We saw Korea and Japan really fight against the big nations as well. You know, Brazil going out of the tournament as well as Germany, Holland as well. And I think a lot of those big teams, I think we had talked about it before, those big nations would have come into those games expecting to win and really wouldn't have given their due respect to the smaller nations like Morocco, like Japan. And when you expect to win, that's when you kind of let your guard down. As I was saying on on numerous different programs, you know, when you expect to do that, you're not paying your respect fund. Uh, All we need to do is show up here and, play at 60 or 70 percent, you know, that's when your Japan's and Morocco's, they're not paying us enough respect. They just think, ah, we're here to make up the numbers. Well, uh, sorry, mate, we're here to make our nation proud. And, you know, they, they certainly did. The likes of Germany, Spain, Portugal, they can't, they can't do that anymore. They can't just say, oh, all we need to do is show up at, at 50% and we'll get past these. No bother. That's not how football works anymore you know there's the bigger nations if they're going to get these past these teams in the future they'll have to put up their socks and work first that's for the betterment of football I think as a whole no doubt because when you have upsets like this nations have to go away regroup come back it might change the way they approach the game in terms of their tactics they might sack their manager like we've seen plenty of nations do between Spain between Brazil as well. I know we had mentioned earlier on when we were talking off-air, we were talking about Gareth Southgate. He's staying on until 2024. Just focusing around the bigger nations now who had uneventful or not uneventful, but maybe just not hitting the mark at this World Cup. Let's just focus around England for the moment. You know, they got to the semi-final, but missed out against France 
how would you rate their performance against France? I always thought that, you know, England do have the talent, don't get me wrong. I know we've had conversations and I, I, I've teased people that they, you know, and all that. But look, England do have the talent, you know, being serious now for a second. But the, the thing that gets me is Marcus Rashford scored three goals during the World Cup and Raheem Sterling was brought on before him in the French game. And Raheem Sterling isn't having the best season for England or his club Chelsea at the moment. Now, Raheem Sterling has been very trustworthy in the past for Gareth But for me, sometimes you have to play players in four that are in form, are getting you goals, are making the difference on the pitch, are getting the assists, are, as I said, are getting the goals. They're making some contribution to the team, you know, assist of the assist if you want to go that far into the detail or they're giving you the assist right before the goal scorer scores or, or they're actually getting you the goals. Whereas I don't think Sterling was the right option against France in that game. So I, I just I question Gareth Southgate for, for some of those, you know, type types of reasons. But look, some stage Englander I think will get over the line. But they, they have to play the people in form that are actually having a good tournament and, and not the ones that are having a miserable tournament. Gareth Southgate has to learn that for himself. And I I know he's staying on for 24, I, 2024. I would question that. But look, um, the powers that be, that be over in England trust Gareth Southgate. So they've made the decision and asked him to stay on for one more tournament at least. So look, they're going to go to the well again with Gareth Southgate. So time will tell was that the right decision? Just talking around Gareth Southgate, like we mentioned, he's staying on till 2024. I think, you know, in the last couple of years, we've seen glimpses of what this England team can do. We talk about the Euros and how far they got in that, going down to penalties, and this World Cup going out because of a missed penalty with Harry Kane. It seems there's a psychological block there. We've said it before, this England team, and I would agree with you, you know, on paper, this England team does have talent. And there's no reason why you shouldn't expect England with the players and the calibre of players they have to perform at tournaments like these. Do you think Gareth Southgate leaving mean that England will progress in terms of winning trophies? Well, he's been there since shortly after Roy Hodgson left the job in 2016. So it's been, what, eight years? Eight years in the job. You know, he's brought them to Russia 2018 uh, Euros 2021, Qatar 2022. They've got a final. They've got a, a semi-final. As I was saying earlier, they obviously trust Gareth Southgate in the process that he is making them go or, or the way direction he's going in. I I would have questioned marks over Gareth Southgate and what he's done. So the FA in England obviously trust him. So you know, we have to go with it and, and see whether it's the right decision, Kyle, to keep Gareth Southgate in the England job. But look, other man, other countries have taken bit the bullet and got rid of managers. You know, just Brazil quickly have are going to appoint someone. Spain have appointed some new manager, and and Deschamps could you know has yet to make the decision whether he's staying on. And and there's huge links with Zinedine Zidane if. Deschamps leaves the French job that he takes over. Could England be left behind with all those, you know, managerial changes in uh, the international setup? Time will tell. I hope they're not, but um, I just I still have question marks over Gareth Southgate at the moment. 
But maybe, I hope he answers uh, the critics and all that. But the English media, and, and he's dealt with them very well in the past. And But there's always, they do well in the knockout or the qualifying campaigns. And then automatically, a couple of days before the tournament, they start singing, oh, it's coming home, it's coming home. As I would say to any English fan, it's not coming home until you actually have the, the final whistle in the final has gone and you're about to lift the trophy. So stop celebrating before before you've won anything because it, you could have egg in your face, you know, because of that. You know what I mean? That's that's just something that gets rise me up about English fans. They start celebrating before the tournament has even begun, before a ball has been kicked or a goal has been scored. I just think the English media hype up English team too much. But the, the talent is there, as I said earlier on. And they should go on and win a tournament in the next couple of tournaments. Yeah, there's no doubt that the talent is there, like you mentioned, the calibre of players that they are getting in, the likes of Phil Foden, you know, Jed, they have Jack Grealish, Harry Kane, uh, Raheem Sterling, so many different players that could contribute to trophies down the line, whether it's a psychological block they need to get over, whether it's a changing in the guard, changing of managers, changing of staff. Only time will tell with that. Let's get on to the pinnacle of this World Cup, which was the final between France and Argentina. Messi walking away with the trophy for the first time in his career. How would you rate that as a World Cup final? For for Messi, I, I think it's absolutely um, you know brilliant. It was the one thing missing in his trophy cabinet. He had um, gone and won the Copa America there 18 months ago, two years ago with Argentina beating Brazil in the American uh, the Brazilian National Stadium, won numerous Champions Leagues, La Ligas and, and Cups. You know, it's absolutely brilliant for Messi and, you know, to go and play with that passion for the Argentina side, that's absolutely brilliant. And going to the game, I, I thought it was very lackluster for 70 minutes and then it sparked into life. At least the flame absolutely took took life of stone, and and you know, and Mbappe turned on the thing. The one thing for France, I thought the illness in the past couple of days, I thought that took effect on them uh, as well. Nail biting final uh, once it sparked into life for the extra time and the penalties, and I was certainly biting my nail because I, I was hoping France to win it but look I, I don't hold anything against Messi and all that and look fair play to it maybe I'm wrong in saying this I just have a good feeling at the end of the season now in 2023 he will go off into the sunset retire from club football and retire from international football to contradict that statement he's come out and said he's not by any way finished yet but just I have a good feeling at the minute that you know he may say I'm handing up my boots at the end of the season in Europe, both international and club. But time will tell whether I'm correct in that or, or not. Just to expand on that, you're right. He has come out and said, stated publicly that this will be his last World Cup, but he's not retiring immediately from international duty. I probably would predict that he wants to get at least one Copa America in again and get one more trophy underneath his belt with Argentina you know, he's 35 years old. Like you said, he's achieved the pinnacle in the Champions League. He's won trophies in Serie A as well as the French League as well. And now 
he has what he was missing, the World Cup. And again, it was such a great final. Yeah. I would agree with you that it did take two minutes. And I want to stress that it was two minutes of magic from Mbappe. Two goals in two yeah. minutes. And the fact that France needed Mbappe to just turn on for two minutes and carry the team like that. Imagine if Mbappe wasn't on the field. France would have been an entirely different team. I think it would have been a very lacklustre game, Liam, if Mbappe yeah. wasn't on that field for those two minutes and didn't provide that bit of magic. We might have ended up nodding off rather than biting our nails, really. But overall, this tournament yeah. has given us great moments. The pinnacle being, obviously, one of the world's greatest players to play the game has managed to bring home to Argentina at the World Cup and he's going to get a hero's welcome there if he hasn't got it already. So I'd just like to end the segment on this theme if I can. The fact that Ronaldo had a very lacklustre World Cup, I think statistically probably one of the worst he's had so far with Portugal, not reaching the pinnacle of the final and not bringing home the World Cup and Messi doing the deed, getting across the line. With the rivalry they have and with the competitive competitive nature of Ronaldo, do you think Messi winning the World Cup will encourage him to stick around for the next four years to see if he can add that to his tally as well? Yeah, I, I think it'll uh, be being uh, Ronaldo's bonnet that he, he'll want to stay around for the next four years. I do think that will he be able though? Will the will the body not? We've seen the body is letting him down already. The mind may be sharp, and and the body may be still, you know, he may whip it into shape. But you know, he's lost that yard of pace. He's not the player we we knew, you know, four or five years ago when he was first at Madrid and at United. So Ronaldo has to come to the realization that his body is beginning to let him down, uh, and he's lost that yard of pace. So will he make the 2026 World Cup? Maybe. I don't think so. Time will tell. I think he'll be around 2024 with Portugal. I think he could play till he was 40. You know, we've seen a number of players in the past. We all know who they are. We won't go through them now. But time will tell. I I think he will be encouraged to stay. But whether he's picked in the squad or the manager of the day for Portugal picks him is another thing. So... You know, he, he may have no choice to retire in the next couple of years before the World Cup, but he will try everything in his power to get to the next World Cup. I have no doubt in that, but um, will things go against him is another matter. I definitely think you're right there with that because we've already seen that his body has been letting him down, like you mentioned. And as Wayne Rooney said and publicly stated, we all get old it's part of life. Our body starts to slow down. And Ronaldo, I think, is dealing with that and the fallout of that. I do agree with you as well that he does have that drive in him, that competitive drive. He probably will stay around for as long as he can. And with the way Ronaldo has taken care of his body, I think he can have more allowances than the likes of the original Ronaldo had or even Ronaldinho or you know, um, Zinedine Zidane. You know, I could see Ronaldo staying, yeah. staying in the game until he's at least 41-42. But like you said, only time will tell with that. Liam, thank you so much for joining yeah. me on the segment for the Christmas episode. Happy Christmas and I will see you in the new year, bud, all right? Thank you very much for having me on, Kyle. Cheers. Always a pleasure. 
Early in the episode, I was joined by Liam Byrne to discuss this year's World Cup. I'm now joined on the line by another contributor who has been on the podcast in the past, Barry Walsh. We're normally talking about Man United and how bad they're doing and just going through the woes and miseries of being Man United fans. But for this segment, we will be discussing the World Cup once again and the fact that it was held in Qatar this year, which was a real bout of contention in the media. I'm joined on the line now by Barry Walsh. Barry, thanks for joining me on the podcast for the Christmas episode. We're talking about this year's World Cup held in Qatar. It was an eventful tournament to say the least, but just give me your reflection and your analysis of what was a mediocre tournament to begin with, but ended up with firecrackers, to be honest. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me on again, Kyle. Yeah, I really enjoyed the tournament. It was, it was a weird one. The group stage kind of got off to a, a flying start. You had that Saudi uh, Arabia Argentina game, and you had, a, you had a couple of good games after that there early on. And then I, I suppose the group stage went very quiet after that until we got the, the last round. I think nearly every team was still in the game coming into that last set of games. And flicking between the two games at three o'clock was very entertaining, I found. Um, but then, yeah, it was it kind of hit a little bit with there being so many shocks in the last day of the so many shocks in the last day of the group stage. There was a lot of very predictable ties in the last sixteen that led to a very flat front sixteen. I think nearly yeah, you had your your, your your Spain Morocco, but apart from that, it was it was it was fairly flat, and, and um, I didn't find the last sixteen too entertaining. And then again, uh, got the quarterfinals, and we had another round of unbelievable. Unbelievable fixtures. So I'd like to Brazil, England go out. Great, great round of fixtures. And then from then on, there was the tournament flew when it didn't stop. Um, that last week between the semi quarterfinals, semi finals, and finals, we got finishing with my greatest games you'll ever see in any, in any tournament being the finals. But yeah, I, I enjoyed the finals. I enjoyed the, I enjoyed the whole tournament. I think it did deliver. I didn't know how it would deliver when it to a winter world cup. But I think it did. Yeah, I think all in all, the football is quite good. I suppose probably having players coming towards their peak fitness rather than at the tail end of the season when they're they're bashed and bruised and you know the last thing they need to do is peak and um, probably benefit the football probably benefited from that. We've seen the, the Premier League the first fourteen games have kind of suffered. Tell players were kind of fine tuning themselves for the World Cup, but I think that 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 result of getting getting a World Cup of players that were really really peaking. And like you mentioned, uh, the World Cup this year was held in Qatar during the months leading up to winter and Christmas, which we don't normally see. We had several upsets, a lot of the big nations underperforming, to say the least. What do you make of that and your analysis on that? Because it's rare to see the big teams falter on the big stage like that, but so many of them to go out with a whimper, the likes of Germany, Netherlands, England had tough luck with that second penalty being missed. But so many big nations going out and a lot of dark horses getting further in the tournament than anyone expected, the likes of Morocco and Japan overachieving really with this tournament. Yeah, I suppose one major factor there, I'd put it down to anyway, would be probably getting out of long press. I mean, like we're, we were watching Premier League games up until what, a week, 10 days before the before the World Cup and then your players coming into camp, flying out to Qatar, climatizing, like you wouldn't have that press that you get with you know in the lead up to a World Cup you know you'd have your you'd have your training camp or whatsoever beforehand so I, I'd imagine that was a factor you know it made it more unpredictable there was less less strategy at play and there was less you know they didn't have the tactical analysis or the tactical build up of exactly how the big teams wanted to play 
so that probably led to the ability to have more of the, I'm not really sure. Like, the likes of Germany, Belgium, them teams going out in the group stage. It didn't really shock me. Like, you look at, like, like Italy not even getting qualified for tournaments. Like, a lot of these teams are kind of at the tail end of a wave. They're riding for through, through the last few years. That Belgian squad looks nothing to be afraid of. Like, pound for pound, against Morocco, if you look man for man, it's not much better team than, than the Moroccan team. The German team are completely lacking a striker. That they got in the first game kind of kind of put them out of the tournament. Really, they couldn't. They never really recovered from that. And just looking at the tournament as a whole, I know lots of people would have been backing certain teams. Can I just get from yourself? Who were you backing going into this World Cup, and who was the surprise team for you who actually really impressed you in this World Cup? I, I always have a soft spot in South American teams and being three United players I was kind of back in Brazil and then the whole the romance and Messi story kind of got me as the tournament got going but I was always keeping an eye on them anyway I wasn't overly impressed with them through a two stage I gave a good build slowly throughout the tournament but if I was back in anyone at the end of the group stage it would definitely win Brazil like it wasn't there. In terms of the teams that impressed me I can't, you can't really look past Morocco I suppose Croatia didn't really impress me but they impressed me in their way of getting things done just get, just getting getting the game getting getting the win through, through whatever means necessary and I suppose Japan putting off two big games against two big teams in the group getting past that getting through that group would have been, would, would have been an impossible task really so you have to give them their plaudits to get out of that because there was a lot of people looking at the games like between Brazil and Japan or you know Germany and Japan and expecting and I think the Germany team as well expected to absolutely annihilate them and I think that's you know where the great performances came out when the underdogs were being underrated and weren't expected to create upsets that's when upsets come about just around the Messi and Ronaldo infatuation here with this World Cup because it was an underlying tone you know we have both these great players probably the greatest to play the game in both Messi and Ronaldo coming to the end of their careers Ronaldo 37 I believe and Messi 35 at the moment it seemed like their last chances to get their hands on this trophy with Messi beating out Ronaldo with a great performance in the World Cup final and really a bit like Mbappe carrying Argentina at times does this open up the argument or sorry not open it up but does does this close the book on the argument of Messi being the greatest of all time or is there still room in the argument to argue for Ronaldo I, I, I think in reality the conversation has been a closed book for a long time I mean when, when, when you ask the real pundits and guys not not just the guys that played with Ronaldo at United and Real you know, yeah. If you if you if you took a poll, I don't think they'd really. I'm not talking about you took a poll of people on Twitter and so on. If you took a real poll of people that know what they're talking about about football, as a United fan that grew up watching Ronaldo win the Champions League, for, like it hurts to say, but Ronaldo is no one. He's not really at the same level of Messi, and hasn't been really for the majority of his career. I would say Messi has been the better player, but. The argument has still prevailed for the last 15 years and weirdly enough we saw the argument get shot over 90 minutes in that final um, closed book no question it's time to start comparing Messi and Maradona not Messi and Ronaldo anymore it's eh, he's gone beyond that I mean you know there was a whole like people, the only thing people could really throw at Messi was he hasn't done it in another league look he didn't do it in PSG last year but they're, they're playing pretty well this year he's, he's won the Copa America he's won the World Cup 
and we just saw how amazing he is. Well, and, and, and to do it while Ronaldo's career has just gone into a total meltdown, while he's remained classy, I understand the two between them, but while he's remained classy, composed and, and delivered, I think the conversation's over. Internationally, it's all about winning that World Cup and Messi has got that over Ronaldo. Whether or not Ronaldo is around for the next World Cup, it's very unlikely. I think, like you said, it's open and shut and closed on that topic. Unfortunately, this is where my conversation with Barry was cut short. Unfortunately, I did have to end our call prematurely because there was a few things in the house I needed to attend to and couldn't put it off. But I do want to thank Barry for joining me on this episode and talking about the World Cup. What we didn't get to in this segment on the call was talking about the controversy of it being held in Qatar. And I think it's plain and simple for everyone to see. You know, there's a lot of speculation that the Qatar representatives did bribe their way into getting it into Qatar. And there's a whole lot of speculation around that, you know, similar to the bid with Russia in 2018. And for anyone who was lying to themselves and saying that Russia had the, or not Russia, sorry, that Qatar had the facilities for this World Cup, they're mad. When you look at the family members who lost loved ones who were workers for this World Cup in Qatar, there's been several deaths due to heat exhaustion, due to accidents, all kinds of incidents that led to workers dying on site in Qatar trying to make the structures for this World Cup. They basically had to build an entire fucking city of stadiums to host the teams. And just going back to my conversation with Barry on our call, he mentioned that the facilities not being adequate and the players struggling to acclimate to the weather over there. You know, it's a World Cup in winter, but in Qatar, it's boiling heat. And from the footage we saw of training sessions before games, the England team really struggling to actually stay hydrated, as well as other nations in the pre-tournament warm-ups and the training sessions. It was mad. It was insane that this World Cup happened in Qatar. And as well as that, not to mention it's the elephant in the room, Qatar's stringent laws and views on homosexuality and the LGBT community over there in that country. What did FIFA say and what did the likes of David Beckham say when they endorsed this tournament being held in Qatar? What they told you and what this does tell you, plain and simple, is money talks. Money talks and this is why it was held in Qatar. A lot of people have lost respect for the likes of David Beckham who decided to become the face of the Qatar World Cup. I'm sure he was paid very handsomely for his endorsement. But when you look at the respect he's probably going to lose in the eyes of fans, in the eyes of pundits, colleagues as well, I think people who align themselves with the Qatarian World Cup and didn't use that platform to speak outright, whether it's the commentators, the pundits, the management, the teams themselves, the players... I think a lot of the national teams wanted to use that platform to speak out for what's right, but they decided not to wear the LGBTQ armbands because, again, it was prohibited and it was as easy as saying to them, oh, you'll get a yellow card if you wear that. No one decided to wear it. I think the only team that actually did anything physical in terms of protest was the Argentinian team, not, sorry, the German team, who put their hands over their mouths to symbolize that they were being muzzled 
in terms of speaking out at this World Cup. When it comes to tournaments like these, you should be able to get swept away in the football and enjoy it. I personally couldn't get it out of my head and couldn't separate the fact that, you know, it's in Qatar and I wasn't able to get swept away in the football. I wasn't able to get swept away in the occasion of it all. I think even watching the final, I was very aware of, oh my God, like, why is it in Qatar? Why did this happen? And what has football come to? As with everything on this podcast, I'd love to know your opinion, your thoughts on it up on Anchor FM, Spotify and Twitter. You can leave a message up on the episode on Anchor FM or if you listen to it on Spotify, there's always an option to answer a question up there as well. Let me know your thoughts on the Qatar World Cup. Is it as plain and simple for you as it is for me or do you see it as a bit more complex? Let me know up on Anchor FM, Spotify and Twitter. Stick around as I'll be concluding the episode by wrapping up my 2022 by looking back and reflecting on some of my personal highlights of the year. Guys, it's been an eventful 2022 to say the least. Most of it good, thank God. And like I was mentioning at the start of the episode, it's been a year for radio. It really has. You know, my internship at Midwest Radio, I'm learning so much. Really progressing as a professional this year and becoming acclimated to hearing my voice on radio which was a weird thing for me to say because I never thought I'd get used to that you know when you hear your voice back it's almost like a psychological thing you get in your head and you're thinking oh do I really sound like that but over time it becomes normalized and you're able to listen back without cringing that's managed to happen this year where I can listen to myself and not cringe just listening back but overall you know I've learned so much about the new sector of radio what goes into producing a new show, what goes into prepping material and being a broadcast journalist. I've been lucky enough to have great people to learn from on this experience so far. And, you know, I've said it once before and many times before, actually. I haven't met a bad person in radio yet. You know, most people that you meet in this industry, they want to help you. They want to see you progress. And it's almost like we're all helping each other to get to the next stage, to be that bit better to raise it a level in terms of quality of content and I've been very lucky to have a great atmosphere to learn and work in Midwest Radio and it's really going to help me down the line in order to be a better journalist to be a better broadcaster and to be a better presenter as well because like I've mentioned several times before as well on this podcast it is my aim to have my own radio show and to be a presenter you know, on some breakfast morning show or talk show, something like that. And the podcast has been a great outlet for me as well to mold my skills in that way as well. But overall, I'm learning so much in this internship. And my advice to you is if you're looking to get into the area of radio, just start by making connections. I think I found that the hardest thing to do to begin with and actually put myself out there and say, you know, I'm interested in doing this. I want to learn how to do that. And you know, there's a lot of people who won't try something because they're afraid of failing or they're afraid of looking stupid or sounding stupid. And the only way you can actually learn and get better is by making mistakes. You know, if you fumble over your words, doing a news readout, which I've done before, and it is a hard thing to get over because, you know, no one likes to mess up. But you can't go through a career or, you know, life not messing up because you need to be able to mess up to learn. And I think a lot of people will tell you that the best place to grow is after a mistake is to learn from that and to move on forget about it you know 
take two minutes to reflect on it, what you did wrong, learn from it, move on, and put it out of your mindset. Because if you carry them with you for long enough, it'll become a mental block and a psychological thing for you as well. So when it comes to radio this year, I've really had an eventful year. I've got to work with some great people, great colleagues, and I hope that my progression, my journey on this path in radio continues to grow in the new year. I'm very excited about it. As well as at the podcast, you know, I had to make some decisions with the podcast this year. Getting the internship, I knew I couldn't give 100% to both things. And like I mentioned at the start of the episode, I focused around putting out episodes that I'm proud of rather than making sure that I hit a deadline every week to have an episode out, which is how burnout can easily happen, to be honest. It was a very simple decision for me. I knew that in order to be a better podcaster, to be a better presenter, I needed to put my all into the internship and make sure that I wasn't prioritizing the podcast over my job. And I knew I had to find a happy medium, a happy middle ground, which I feel I have done. Yes, I haven't been putting out an episode every week or every two weeks like I normally would. But I feel by not doing that, I've managed to hone in on what I really want to talk about and make sure that the episodes I'm doing are more enjoyable, both for you to listen to and for me to record and produce. So hopefully, you know, in the new year, I continue to learn on the podcast and I'm able to bring the skills I learn in radio over into my podcasting as well as well as having a good year in radio i went through surgery i got surgery on my left arm for anyone who doesn't know i have partial paralysis of my left side you know i've talked about my disability many times on the podcast the reason i do is because i want to use my platform to talk about disability and my experience of it and my journey well my journey this year was around this surgery which i was able to get a lot sooner than I thought I would. Because my arm, I don't use it. I'm not able to use it. Because of the paralysis, it's become very tight over the years. And instead of my hand being out and open, it would be in a clenched fist and almost pulled into my hand or my forearm. So almost facing down all the time. And the muscles become very stringent and very tight. And because they're tight, they're not as long as the other tendons in my right arm, which is my good arm. This past year, I was referred to a surgeon who could do a surgery which would bring my arm out, bring my hand out and make it look like my right arm, make it look like my right hand and make it more uniform. I knew that getting mobility back, it's going to be a long shot because my disability, unfortunately, is neurological, meaning that my physical disability has come from a minor brain injury, which means that even though the surgery might aesthetically make my left hand look like my right hand it doesn't necessarily mean that I will now have full function or any function from the surgery itself but I think I'm about eight nine weeks out from surgery I had it on the 28th of October it was six hours on the table up in Dublin and you know it felt like 20 minutes to me because they uh, put me under but you know I woke up six hours later and high as a kite um, really just decided, okay, now's the time to work, now's the time to make sure that I do what I need to do and recover well and make sure that I have my eye on the ball when it comes to working with my left hand because it was in the cast for so long and it was so uncomfortable. But it's now out of the cast. This past couple of weeks, I went up to Dublin again 
to meet with my surgeon and she recommended me taking my hand out of the cast entirely and working to make sure I get some function back in my hand and work towards that goal because that is a goal for me as well and a goal for my medical team. Overall, it's going so well. First of all, my left hand looks like my right hand now, which is insane to me. For years, I've been looking down at my hand in a cast or out of the cast. It looks very tight and pulled in. It just doesn't look like my right hand. And because I'm not able to use my left hand, eh, the muscle density and formation of my muscles in my left hand, it's very small. It's a smaller hand because I'm not using it and the muscle density has kind of gone away. Really, it's atrophied, you know, it's um, it's a smaller hand. But that's one of the things I want to achieve with this uh, rehab and this physiotherapy is to try and build muscle back up in my left arm to try and make it look as uniform as possible to my right. Because, you know, you do something with your right hand for long enough, it's going to look bigger in comparison to your left. Like I mentioned, it's all going so well. And this is a new chapter in my life with my disability. And for the first time ever, I'm not in physiotherapy to maintain. I'm in physiotherapy to improve. Because for a long time, anyone who has a disability will know at some point you reach a roadblock with what you're able to achieve in terms of gaining function back. And for me, you know, I hit that roadblock when I was young. You know, I managed to work my way out of a wheelchair. I managed to be able to walk again with the aid of a cast and splint. But the roadblock hit with my arm. I'm able to walk. I'm able to run. I'm able to function in everyday life. I'm independent. But the roadblock was with my hand. I had to learn to do things one-handed. And, you know, I'm not crying over it. I'm very happy with my life. I'm very happy with how I'm able to function and being an independent adult. But there's part of me that always wanted to make sure that I had that option. And a couple of years ago, this wasn't an option. This surgery didn't exist. And for me to look down at my arm and be happy with the way it looks, I was never super self-conscious about it, but it's always in the back of your mind. Everyone always has those moments of being self-conscious about their disability the way their arm, their leg, you know, their hand may look and it gets to you sometimes. But overall, you know, I managed to surround myself with people who don't look at my disability and make it my main trait. And that has made me into a person who doesn't make my disability my main trait either. You know, I only really disclose my disability to people if it's absolutely necessary. You know, when I interact with people, most people don't bat an eyelid and they don't pay attention to it they don't see it straight away so that was never an issue for me growing up it was never a hurdle I had to get over to form my identity and to be comfortable in my own skin but I want to give myself the best chance in life I want to be able to kind of push the boundaries and make sure that you know I try everything I can while I can to make sure I get the best out of life and I think having the surgery, you know, at 20, I'm 29 years old, having the surgery at this time in my life was the best time to do it because I'm older, I'm wiser, I'm able to put more energy into physiotherapy. I'm doing it for me. I'm not doing it for anyone else. I'm not doing it because my parents think it's a good idea or I'm not doing it because I care about what other people think of me. I'm doing it because I want the best quality of life for myself. And I honestly can't speak highly enough of my surgical team and my post-surgery team. They've been so helpful and it's been 
a walk in the park really to go up to physio and to really put my all into this physiotherapy because again like I mentioned the main goal of the surgery besides looking the same as my right hand I want to see if I can get any mobility back in my left hand and I've already got some back I've gone from having a left arm that was in a tight fist clenched in and down and very tight to having an open palm to be able to squeeze and hold on to normal everyday objects that I wouldn't be able to hold before I'm able to pick up my wallet I'm able to squeeze a stress ball I'm able to pick up something and hand it to my fiance and it's about the little battles it's about the little steps you take and the little wins you know it's not always about getting full mobility back and again like I mentioned I think this was the perfect time in my life to have this surgery like I said I'm older I'm wiser and I know the seriousness of this I have a game plan I know why I'm doing it I have no illusions of what is realistic and unrealistic I don't have this idealistic view of okay now my left arm is going to be 100% better and I'm not going to be disabled anymore you know it's not about that it's about okay before the surgery I couldn't do this with my left hand but now after it I can and even if that's a small thing like being able to pick up my wallet and put it into my pocket to hold my passport in line in the airport before I get on the plane those are the battles that I'm looking forward to winning and I will win them because I want to and I know I can do it as part of my post-surgery journey it has been advised to me by my surgical team you know to reach out to people who've had the same kind of operation this surgery and um, where you know people other people who've had wrist fusions and tendon lengthenings of their arm um, to loosen up their hand and their muscles you know I'm looking forward to meeting those people through my surgical team and having those conversations and really seeing other people's battles and struggles because it does put everything into perspective and it does make you think okay this person maybe was worse than me before the surgery and now they're able to open a car door they're able to hold, I know I said already, they're able to hold their wallet, they're able to take money out of their wallet and pay for something. I want to see from the surgery how people, other patients, other people who went through the surgery, how they've progressed because that will give me a more realistic view of what's achievable for me. So I'm really looking forward to that part of the journey as well. Again, if you relate to any of this, if you've gone through something similar yourself, I love to hear your story up on Anchor FM, Spotify and Twitter. You can always contact me up on Twitter at Kyle under slash T under slash Duffy. Because again, hearing these stories, it puts things in perspective for you and it really lets you know more about other people's struggles and other people's journeys of disability, which I really want to do because you know, disability and advocacy is a big part of my life has been since you know I was young growing up and having my own journey of disability as well you know I studied it in college it was what I wanted to do and now in radio I want to make sure that I'm able to do it for people as well and hear their stories and talk to them about their struggles as well so I'd love to hear from you if you have been through something similar
Wow, this has been a long episode. I wasn't planning on having an hour and a half episode for the Christmas special, but I think it's very fitting. I haven't been on the mic for a while in between Midwest and working in Ballyhanas and Casabar. You know, it's been a lot, but I'm glad I got to sit down and record the Christmas episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. Before I do end the episode, I do want to apologize for the quality of my voice throughout the episode. If you've listened all the way through, you might notice that my voice has gotten gradually harsher and raspier and scratchier as the episode has gone on. And that's because I did this episode over the course of this week and my voice really took a beating between work and the podcast. I got a throat infection and I'm having a COVID Christmas, people. I went two years without getting it and now I have it. Perfect. But um, listen, it could have come at worse times and I think everything is put in perspective for you. You know, my immune system is good. I'm going to be able to handle this. At the moment, I have a bit of a temperature and my temperature has been spiking up and down. And as well as that, you can hear it in my voice. I am so hoarse at the moment and I have a throat infection on top of that. But like I mentioned, it's all about putting it in perspective. You know, I could have got COVID, as pointed out to me by my fiance and my parents, I could have got COVID before my surgery and I would have pushed my surgery down the line and I wouldn't have got it. I would have, I could have got COVID before I started in Midwest and I wouldn't be able to take part in the internship. Or more importantly and more scarily, I could have got COVID next year and that would have meant that I would have to delay my wedding, which is the nightmare scenario. I think you can all agree. So again, it's all about perspective. And just thinking back on this year, I had too much good shit happen to me. I was due for a knockback. And I think COVID during Christmas is the perfect knockback to kind of bring me down back to earth. But again, like I said, could have been a lot worse. Guys, I want to thank you so much for listening to the episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. Hope you have a safe, happy Christmas. And if you're looking for something to listen to over the Christmas, I would highly recommend the Jack McDonald show. I am lucky enough to be a contributor on his show. We talk movies. And to be honest, most of the time, I just torture him with insane, obscure movies that he's never heard of and wouldn't watch in a million years. On this movie torture segment, we give each other movies to review and discuss on the podcast so if you're looking for a new podcast to check out or if you're looking for something to listen to on christmas day check out jack mcdonald's new episode up on spotify hope you all enjoy it this brings the episode to a close i hope you all enjoyed it if you did make sure to check out the rest of my catalog available on spotify google podcasts and anchor fm wherever you get your podcast from make sure to give is a recording some love Give it a follow so you never miss out on future episodes and share the episodes with your friends. I'm very excited to be on this journey with the podcast and happy to have you along for the ride. This has been Is A Recording with Kyle Duffy. Thanks for listening.